0: Hey everybody, welcome to Tonebenders. My name is Tim Muirhead and with me today is Teresa Morrill. I'm going to introduce you to her in just a second, but first I'm going to set up what today's episode is about. Recently, Teresa and I went to New York City to uh, interview a bunch of the top sound designers and mixers there and talk to them about what New York City sound world is kind of all about. It was an amazing trip, and we're going to kind of walk you through it today It's kind of be a sampler of future episodes that will feature the full interviews with the various people we talk to. But first, uh, I want to introduce you to my friend, Teresa Morrow, who went on the trip with me. Hey, Teresa, how you doing? Hi,
1: Tim. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Oh, no problem. Thanks for coming to New York City with me. <laughs> Uh, Teresa and I went to college together for film school and both ended up uh, doing our co-op placements at the same place. We've been really good friends ever since. I've gone more in the sound editing and she's gone more into sound mixing. Would you say that's accurate?
1: That sounds accurate.
0: Yeah. And today we are sitting in the uh, awesome voice booth at the studio Teresa works at. The same hallowed room where the voices of Paw Patrol are recorded.
1: That's <laughs> true, yeah.
0: Where uh, the international hit animation Bakugan's voices were recorded.
1: All of the heavy hitters, yeah. Yeah. We're at uh, Spence Thomas Audio Post in Toronto.
0: Yeah, in downtown Toronto. Let's uh, walk the people through our trip. So first off, we went last November in 2016.
1: We got there a week after the elections.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Which put an interesting spin on all of our encounters there.
0: Yeah. Every person that we met, uh, we were like, hey, how you doing? And they're like, well, (laughs) things are different now. (laughs) We got up early on a Sunday morning and met at the Toronto airport. I showed up with all the sound gear to do all these interviews And I was expecting to get pulled over and checked for a million things, so I got there super early in the morning. And then they just looked at my bag and went, go ahead, sir. And that was pretty awesome. I was completely surprised by that.
1: Yeah, I was super nervous that you were going to get pulled apart.
0: I had my sound device's 702 to record with and uh, my DPA 6040s that we were just going to use as lapel mics on everyone. So that was kind of the plan. So I didn't have any big boom poles or... uh, giant shotgun mics, because I have been pulled aside with, I had a road mic in the metal pipe that those mics come in, and I got uh, asked about that because they thought it might have been a pipe bomb or something. But uh, it wasn't a major pull aside. But anyway, this time, I didn't get pulled aside at all. Which were
1: friendlier times. We just got waved right through.
0: Yeah, we just got waved right through. Uh, So that was how the day started. And then we got on the plane, flew there. And uh, first of all, maybe we should talk about how this trip came together.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, this this gets a little personal on your side, doesn't it? How so? My version of the story is that you were supposed to go on a romantic holiday with your wife, and she just didn't want to go, and you're like, you want to go to New York?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that That is a accurate but simplified version of how it went down. Uh, I had a break between the series that I was working that's, on. Sorry, that's the real yeah, story. So I had a break, and I wanted to go somewhere... We had just had a baby, and my wife was thinking that it was more trouble than it was worth to be dragging a baby on vacation somewhere. So I went, see you, honey. See you, kids. And uh, I set up this trip to New York City. And uh, Teresa was free, too, so she came along to be uh, the sound tech for me.
1: And your gopher and stuff Carter.
0: Stuff Carter, right? Yeah. <laughs> is that the, that was your technical term, the yeah. stuff Carter? Yeah. Anyway, so th- the genesis for this was I decided that Tonebenders needed to interview Skip Livesey. It's
1: an ambitious
0: yeah. wish. And is it Livesey, Livesey? I can't remember. I've been saying it one way my whole life, and then he told us the way to say it, and it's super confusing now.
1: We had a fifteen-minute explanation from him yeah. at the end of which we were even more confused.
0: Yeah, you, you can look forward to that in the final interview with him, <laughs> but. I wanted to interview Skip. He's been a, kind of a hero of mine in the sound world, and I'm a big fan of all the work that he's done. I kind of made it my mission to figure out how to get in touch with Skip. So I kind of had a two-and-a-half-week window. I contacted Skip's people and said, I can be there any in these two-and-a-half weeks. Tell me when he's available. And the response was nothing. <laughs> so I tried again, and the response was nothing. So I tried again, and finally I got someone to respond back saying that, Although Skip works for Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers doesn't represent him. So they could not help me set up an interview with him. So I tried a million other things and everybody I contacted, I got stonewalled. I couldn't get in touch with Skip. And then finally I contacted the right person who gave me Skip's email address. I sent Skip an email and then a couple minutes later my phone rang and it was Skip on the phone calling me to see what was up. And uh, I almost passed out. (laughs) It was very bizarre. I was walking to work on a busy street. My phone rang, unknown number, pick up. Hi, this is Skip. What? So I talked to Skip. There's really
1: only one Skip, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was was kind of an amazing moment. And it was kind of awesome because I didn't even have a chance to get nervous or anything when talking to him because I didn't know it was coming. But anyway, so Skip called me and we set up a time. And uh, so then we were off to the races. So then I contacted everybody else. And tried to uh, book a bunch of interviews around the Skip interview. So yeah, so the the main genesis was to get to talk to Skip, and uh, we accomplished that.
1: That's how it happened.
0: Yeah. So once the we got Skip, the moral of the
1: story is just ask. And, and the other and thing then about keep asking.
0: Yeah. The moral of the story is do not give up just because people tell you no fifty times. <laughs> uh, the other moral of the story is once you send someone an email saying I'm coming to New York to interview Skip, they're in. Anybody else, well, if he's interviewing Skip, if Skip said yes, then I better say yes. That was kind of the impression I got. So, And then
1: we were deluged with big name people who were suddenly totally willing to talk to us. And that's a bit mind blowing.
0: Yeah. Like I was booking interviews literally as we took off on the flight to New York City. So Like, everybody I asked, with the exception of one, ended up working out, uh, and—well, some people just weren't in town, but everyone who it was feasible to interview, we ended up kind of getting a hold of and either interviewing them or meeting up with them at some point. It was a really cool trip. So, let's get back to our kind of timeline, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, the first thing we did was land. We made it through uh, customs, no problem. Again, my gear didn't get questioned, which was kind of nice.
1: Amazingly. Yeah. I was kind of pretending I didn't know you. Yeah, Teresa totally bailed
0: on me. So if customs did pull me across, she was like, I don't know him.
1: Don't know that guy. Yeah.
0: Thanks a lot for that. (laughs) Uh, So then we head downtown and we go to our hotel, which is kind of a a unique place.
1: Yeah, I ended up, uh, Tim gave me the job of booking us a hotel and uh, I asked around a bunch of my friends who are weird arts types, I guess, because the... Most interesting one, when we couldn't get into, what was it, the Franciscan Monastery or something, you're looking for a cheap hotel in New York, you got to be creative. Uh, We got recommended to stay at the Jane Hotel, which I guess amongst certain people is well known, but it's a very odd little historic hotel, uh, lower west side. It's a former sailor's hotel. Yeah. So the nautical theme is strong, and the rooms are the size of a cabin on a boat, basically.
0: Maybe a little smaller. <laughs> Maybe a little
1: smaller. And that hotel is kind of like walking into a Wes Anderson film. So that was kind of funny.
0: Yeah, it was funny. And one of the first things we did when we got there was it was shared unisex bathrooms. And I went in to go have a shower, and uh, you're supposed to go into the actual shower and then change And right when we arrived, I went in to have a shower, and there was just like a 75-year-old naked man standing there, (laughs) dong swinging in the wind. Welcome to New York. Welcome to New York City. So that was how it all began.
1: (laughs) Otherwise, that hotel is totally fine.
0: Yeah, the hotel was good. Just the 75-year-old genitalia was a little surprising. Um, So then our first thing we did was we went out to dinner. I contacted... Uh, Pro Sound Effects, who we interviewed in an episode a long time ago, because uh, they gave us one of their hybrid libraries to give away in a contest. And to help promote that contest, we interviewed a couple people from Pro Sound Effects. And one of them was David Forshey. At the time, he was kind of uh, new to the business. Not all of that interview made it into that episode. So we'll just play a little clip of David Forshey, who we had dinner with from this interview in 2013. <laughs> The name of
2: the film is uh, Fort Tilden. It was one of eight films in the narrative competition at South by Southwest and uh, it ended up winning uh, the grand jury prize. This is actually my, uh, it was my second independent feature to, to work on. It's uh, a comedy set in, uh, in Brooklyn and it's about two girls uh, journey to the beach, which is um, actually a little more difficult than it should be. Um, <laughs> and you can imagine in hipster Brooklyn, Brooklyn how that um, might have played out, but uh, it's, it's really, it's funny. Yeah, absolutely, I was a sound designer, credit, but um, I did I did everything. I did the, the dialogue edit, sound effects edit. Um, I, I had a Foley artist uh, come in to, to, to help me out with that because there were, just wasn't enough time for yeah. me to do everything. But um, you know I'm coming, coming from the uh, world of short films and, and low budget uh, features, so I, I'm used to doing uh, everything myself. Um, and you know, maybe in the future that will change, and hopefully I can bring on uh, some some more more editors to help me out.
0: That interview was done in twenty thirteen at the NAB conference. And that's how I met him. I met him at that conference. And he's a really cool guy. So he came out for dinner with us and kind of gave us the lay of the land of the New York City Post Sound World. And uh, we had a really good meal. And uh, David was a super awesome guy. So I want to just send a big shout out. Thanks for uh, coming out and hanging out with us that night and getting us settled in. That was super nice of him.
1: Yeah, it was great to meet somebody who uh, is really finding their footing in New York in Post and uh, sort of to get an idea of what sort of trajectories people take into those careers. And you know, he's got a background at NYU, which the we heard NYU cited many times in the interviews that we did. Uh, seems to be a real springboard for good talent in New York.
0: Yeah, there's a little NYU mafia going on there.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of cool. And just to see that sort of situation of talking to somebody who's working in New York and being like, oh, could that be me? That sort of dream of working in yeah. New York and really sort of get a feel for what it's what it's really like in the day to day. So that was cool. He was a great guy.
0: Yeah, and in that clip from a few years ago, he was talking about how one of the first movies he worked on won a bunch of awards, and he really did use that as a springboard. Because if you go to his IMDb page now, he's got I think 37 credits in the last three years, like all future films. Like he's been he's been killing it. So it was uh, great to hang out with him. So after our flight, settle into our weirdo hotel, see the 75-year-old penis, (laughs) go out for dinner with David Forshee. It was bedtime. We were conked out, ready to hit the hay. Next morning, we get up bright and early, and we head to one of New York City's premier sound editing and mixing facilities, C5 Sound. And we were uh, gonna interview Nicholas Renback. good morning. Morning, how are you? how are you? Not bad. Uh, We're here to see uh, Nicholas Renbeck. Uh, Nicholas is a supervising sound editor there, and he was super interesting. He was someone I just kind of stumbled across because he did the post-sound supervising for The Night Of, which he just won a Golden Reel Award for the other day. And I'm a super big fan of that show, so when I was watching it, I checked out the credits, saw his name, reached out to him, and it was kind of a last-minute thing. We were figuring out the timing of the interview even the day before we did it, and we got to see Five Sound, and... uh, we sat down with Nick, and he was super interesting. I'm so glad that we got to hook up with him. When his episode comes out, make sure you take a listen, because he was kind of a hidden gem. I didn't, we had no idea what we were getting into when we sat down with Nick, and he's a super articulate guy. We'll just play a quick clip of his interview where he talks about how he likes the New York scene because he doesn't always do the same job. Sometimes he's doing ADR, sometimes he's doing uh, dialogue, sometimes he's doing sound effects, and uh, he kind of ties that into the New York scene in general.
3: Doing ADR, doing dialogue, doing sound effects, supervising or, or mixing. It's good to have an understanding of how everything works. And I enjoy all process of it. I just thought, let me see. The more hats I can figure out how to wear, I think the better for me in some ways is the more enjoyment I have. It's, you know, it's nice to come into a job, oh, I'm going to be the sound effects editor on this. Put that hat on, and enjoy it. Or And then on the next show, I'm going to be the dialogue editor. Oh, I don't have to go searching for sound effects. I, get, I just have to work with what I have and make that work. So it's different. Different mindsets. Oh, oh, ADR, okay, I get to meet the talent, work closely with the director that maybe I wouldn't otherwise. So it, it, it keeps it fun, it keeps it uh, it interesting, and and it allows me to work with a lot of people here in New York, which I appreciate because there's a lot of there's a lot of great talented people here and a lot of great supervisors, and it's nice to keep working with them and getting to you know and getting to see what's what's you know because as people's careers move, they they expand, they learn new things, and if you can keep kind of saying, oh, I get to work with this person now who I haven't had a chance to work with in two years. and Oh, this is neat what you've been figuring out, and this is what I've been doing, and it's nice, it keeps it fresh. So uh, There's a lot of work going on right here at this point, but it's not the same size as L.A. So, I mean... People that work well, we we keep hiring each other, and we keep trying to, you know, we want each other to succeed. Is what I at least that's my my feeling of it. It's like we, right? I want all my my friends and coworkers to succeed and, and have nice projects to work on and. To, and if i can hire them on for something that i'm working on great and if they can hire me for something that they're working on that's all the better and i don't you know for me it's like i don't need to be the supervisor in every job i know you know i'm happy to be an editor for somebody else and and if i am the supervisor i'm if they want to come and work with me that's that's fantastic
1: yeah nick really touches on uh Something that we heard a lot of the other people we interviewed uh, talk about, which is this sort of, like, collegiality, and there's almost a family feeling. Nick is freelance, um, but he works uh, often with the same people, uh, trading hats and trading roles, and uh, there seems to be this, like, kind of good vibe Um, among the people who've worked together on different projects in the past.
0: Yeah, everybody wanted to know who else we were interviewing. And when we would say their names, oh, that guy's great. Oh, you're going to love talking to him. Like there's everybody seemed to kind of know each other and have a real respect for each other. Yep. So look forward to Nick's interview because I think it's a really good one. He talks a lot about the Night Of series and how they worked that. He also just talks about his career in general and how he kind of moved up the ranks within the New York City Soundpost world because I believe he's worked there his entire career. So we then got a tour of C5 Sound, actually, and in one of the other rooms was one of my other all-time heroes, Larry Blake, who actually reached out to the podcast to do an interview that would be coming up in the future, but he was in the middle of a mix. So I didn't knock on the door and interrupt You didn't
1: even have to knock on the door. The door is open. Tim looks over. He's like, is that Larry Blake?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of... I I later wrote Larry and said, I was just outside the door. And he's like, oh, you should have come in. It would have been great to meet you. But uh, alas, I just let him continue working instead of interrupting his uh, workflow there. But that was kind of cool to walk by Larry Blake. We got a tour of C5 Sound, and it's a pretty impressive place because... uh, There's so many different rooms on different floors, and uh, they're in the middle of an expansion and taking advantage of every ounce of space that they have.
1: Uh, We saw this in other studios that we went to, but it was uh, sort of the first look at how, um, you know, 100-year-old buildings are retrofitted for super modern high-tech facilities uh, in a way that maybe in other cities, like, you don't have that challenge. You're able to find space. You're able to find square footage. Uh, In New York, you got to work with what you have. I thought it was interesting. Like there's a little less uh, preciousness around like sound isolation in some of the suites that we were in. Things are kind of jammed together in smaller spaces than we are told to expect in LA. Everybody was like, oh, nothing like LA. Of course, I've never seen a suite in LA, but I assume they're all gigantic. And the ones in New York were all kind of more along the lines of the size of studios that we see in Toronto, for example.
0: Yeah. And we should mention, we never left the island of Manhattan. So all the studios that we went to were like right downtown. Yep. C5 is also where Phil Stockton works, who is the subject of our interview about the Sound for Silence, Martin Scorsese's latest film. So we didn't actually meet him that day because he wasn't in that day, but uh, it was cool to kind of get that connection through Nick to meet Phil and uh, get that interview with him. So
1: Yeah, and if you start IMDBing being names, you'll start going down the rabbit hole of, oh, that guy worked with this guy, and he was on this film with this person, and they he was the director, same director on that film. There's a whole network sort of like starts to take shape in front of you, and we sort of like stumbled into it in a way that we didn't realize at first, I think, quite how many interconnections there are between all of the For sure, yeah. yeah.
0: So after we left C5 Sound, we started making our way to WB Sound, which is not too far away and where Skip Livesy works. We started walking there, and then we got a call from Skip saying that he was running late, so could we move the interview back an hour? So then we went to Central Park, hung out there for a little bit, turned around, came back, and met up with Skip. And Dave? Yes. Dave is maybe the more important part of this story. (laughs) Uh, So I don't even know how to introduce Dave. You you, you try and describe the essence that is Dave.
1: (laughs) Well, basically, uh, we'll give you a little heads up if I don't know if in this clip you hear it, but uh, maybe when you get to the full interview uh, with Skip, you'll hear a little bit of interference on the part of uh, his dog, Dave, who was uh, right in the middle of the whole thing.
0: Dave didn't like to keep his nose more than two, three inches from the microphone at all times. Yeah, (laughs) So during this interview with Skip, first of all, he gives us a tour of the facility and uh, their mix room at WB Sound, which is recently built, is uh, kind of an L.A. style mix room. It's quite large. It's way bigger than anything at C5. And uh, it was an impressive room to walk into. So then we went up and did the interview in Skip's regular edit mix room. A really simple room. It's got a big screen on the front and then a desk with some uh, artist series mix consoles in it. Very minimalist Yeah, desk. a keyboard and yeah. a couple monitors. Like This is
1: the thing that really interested me, like as a mixer... Um, working in, you know, television and stuff. Like, we have rather modest suites that we work in. The desks aren't gigantic, film-style desks or anything like that. So it's kind of curious, like, oh, to see how this big-name guy works and, like, oh, I'm ready to be blown away by his workspace. It was unassuming. It was just kind of, like, kind of reassuring to see, like, how... He works in, I don't know if it's pared down, but a quite streamlined uh, way, uh, not a gigantic room. And then we sort of learned like really more what he's doing these days in that suite is uh, his, dialogue. his dialogue editing and his work as a supervisor, which is maybe not best done on a big stage. So it was kind of cool just to be able to relate in a way to the to his workflow. That was kind of reassuring.
0: <laughs> it was very unassuming room except for the shelf on the side wall full of best awards anyone could ever possibly win oh, yeah. in the industry.
1: <laughs> Lots of gold on that shelf. Yeah.
0: <laughs> He's won a couple things in his time. So uh, – but yes. Yeah, so we sit down for the interview. Get the mic up on his shirt, the lapel mic there, and Dave jumps right up on his lap and <laughs> sits, his nose, sits his nose right beside the mic and is breathing heavily during most of the interview.
1: Yeah, and then the second half of the interview, I, I doubled uh, role as recordist and dog belly rubber
0: Yeah, just to
1: keep him quiet.
0: <laughs> it was very uh, kind of Austin Powers scene of uh, Dr. Evil with his hairless cat on his lap. <laughs> we, Dave was a very small lap dog. And, uh, yeah, so he was sitting on uh, Skip's lap the whole time while Skip rubbed his belly and answered our uh, questions about his sound career.
4: Dave, Dave, we can take this off so he won't, won't make as so much sound. There we go. He hates that thing anyway. He's a good boy.
0: It was also kind of a humbling thing for me. I would never describe myself as a remotely talented interviewer. I'm more of a determined interview. But I was a bumbling mess for the first 20 minutes of the Skip interview. It was embarrassing to listen back. So that might just be completely cut out of what you guys (laughs) hear in the final uh, episode. But uh, Skip is a really easy interview, I quickly learned. You ask him a question, and he can keep going for quite a while with uh, some really thoughtful answers. One of the questions that I asked him was how he relates to directors He told the story about working with Don Cheadle on the biopic of the life of Miles Davis, how they asked him to do sound design for it and how that led to
4: some kind of hilarious confusion. The Miles Davis movie that I worked on recently, Miles Ahead, Don Cheadle, he would never made a film, and he was terrified of taking on the project because it would be hard enough just to be Miles Davis, and then he had to be the filmmaker as well. But eventually, Everyone said, no, this is your project. you got to do this. And he said, OK. So um, they said, we we want to talk about sound design. So I'm like, OK. So they showed me some scenes. And it's a pretty abstract movie, but it doesn't really say sound design to me. But, oh, yeah, we need some sound design. Now, that was clearly the big problem. It's like, what do they really mean by that? What's it going to be? And, my coworker and I worked on a bunch of stuff, and we made a bunch of sound design-y type stuff, none of which really seemed to fit very well. But the man says, give me some sound design. Give we're going to make sound some sound design. design. <laughs> so he said, well, well, can we come up and take a look? And he said, sure. So they were sitting right here, and I was playing this stuff. and we got to this section where, and Miles goes into this elevator, and at a certain point he pushes the, the back of the elevator like a door, and it opens up and he walks into this past. It's not a flashback, but it's like the movie's going back mm-hmm. in time to the, the glory days, 5960, when he was super productive as that Miles. So it was supposed to be a, like a time travel almost. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the movie. I'm not looking at them, and I, but I could feel behind me this like car, <laughs> <laughs> and and like um, <clears throat> amazement. And so I turned around I stopped the machine. I turned around, and they were like, uh, "What is that supposed to be?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Right, okay." So like when you said sound design here, what did you mean? And the picture editor, John, said, um, Well, you know, footsteps. And uh, so I'm like, Oh, okay, okay. got it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but Don was really great about it. He's a fantastic guy, very generous and, and uh, sincere artist. He said, Well, what other stuff did you make? So we had made stuff throughout the movie for all the scenes in the movie that were kind of abstract, we made cool sounds for and he I showed him a few of them he's like wow okay miles would love this but <laughs> i don't know what to make of it so he said all right well in the spirit of miles we got to carry this stuff and let's try to put it in the movie wherever we can but we used to, a little bit of it survived in the movie but it was really interesting how one man's footstep is another man's <laughs> sound design <laughs>
1: Celebrities, they're just like the rest of us.
0: <laughs> halfway through that clip, you could hear a good little uh, moment of Dave shaking. Dog shake. Yeah, <laughs> dog shake halfway through the interview. But uh, yeah, Skip was really good at stopping talking, letting Dave do his thing. <laughs> Dave would settle back down, then Skip would keep going. So hopefully we'll be able to edit a lot of that out. But we might just leave it in for the Daveness of it all.
1: Yeah, Dave was pretty awesome.
0: He insinuated when I set up the interview that he could give me like half an hour And he ended up giving us like two, two and a half hours or something. God,
1: everybody was so generous with us. Like we're not journalists, you know, not a big name publication or anything. And people were just like, just so cash and ready to share lots of time with us. And it it was just really kind
0: of I think that we actually have a little bit of something to our advantage with Tonebenders in that they're used to being interviewed by people who maybe don't actually know about sound. So we were asking maybe uh, different questions than they normally get. Skip was really great. He gave us a long interview and then gave us a tour of the upstairs of WB Sound. Dave followed us on that as well. (laughs) Dave was kind of the tour guide. And we ran into Andrew Chris, who is another big uh, sound mixer in New York City. And uh, he gave us some time to talk. We didn't do an official interview with him, but we hung out with him a bit. He was a super nice guy. And then we kind of looked at our watch and went, oh, my God, (laughs) we are scheduled to be at Harbor Post. Now, to interview Bob Hine, we gotta go. So, we grab our jackets and rush out the door and jump in a cab. And this is at like five o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon, I think, in New York City. And we got in a cab, sat in it for what, 15 (laughs) minutes? Take us to Harbor Post. Yeah, we need to get to Harbor Post now. And we sat still for 15 minutes. And then we kind of
1: kept looking over at each other, like, should we get
0: out? Yeah, should we? Should we get out? (laughs) Yeah, it was a total sitcom tourist moment of the idiot tourists in New York City who don't know what to do. So we finally made the decision, almost at the cab's behest. He was just like, "You're not getting anywhere. Get out of my cab." Stepped out of
1: gridlock, crossed three lanes of traffic. I was like, "Okay, where's the subway?"
0: (laughs) Yeah, so we jumped on the subway, got off, and then ran up to Harbor Post. And uh, luckily, Bob was just working away, so he didn't care that we were a little late. But uh, then we got to Harbor Post. And got to meet Bob Hine, who was super cool. Uh, so, for those not familiar with Bob Hine, he is the man behind the sound of countless Woody Allen films, as well as one of my all-time favorite films, The Royal Tannenbaums. He's Lee Daniels guy, so he did The Butler and Precious. Uh, his Go check out Bob Hine's IMDb, because it's an endless list of amazing films. He worked on most Spike Lee's films. So, yeah, he's a guy who's seen it all and done it all. And... Uh, super thoughtful guy, and he sat down with us in his edit room, talked our ears off. It was great. (laughs) And one of my questions was about kind of the legend that Woody Allen refuses to mix in anything other than mono, that everything has to be up the middle all the time. And uh, guess what? That is not true.
5: The evolution of Woody from mono to stereo is huge, and then finally we convinced him that we have to mix 5-1 because the projections just don't understand what to do with his movies, you know. So we, we do mix 5-1. I don't think he worries about it anymore. But when the transition started from mono to stereo, we had to really convince him. There was a scene, there was quiet dialogue, and I think there was an opera going. The score was very intense. And the ideal way to mix it was dialogue in the middle and the music out. Spread it out, yeah. So we talked for probably weeks about whether we should present Woody with this alternative, which he told us many times. He was not interested. Movies come out of the center. That's where they come from. So finally, we got up the nerve to say, Woody, this is an alternative. What do you think? And he liked it. <laughs> and he said, if you guys think that works better, go for it. But it was a while back. You know, it, it's been a long time since we did mono.
0: So there you go. Right from the horse's mouth, as they say, Woody Allen's movies have not been in mono for a long time. It's a big myth.
1: Yeah. There may not be much in the rears, but there is something in the center channel.
0: <laughs> yeah. Surround, definitely something in the center channel. But they are mixing the surround. in surround. Yeah. So Bob talked about that. And uh, as I said, he did the Royal Tannenbaum. So we talked about that a little bit. So there's lots to look forward to in his full episode. He also talked a lot about Sound One and uh, what the closing of Sound One meant to New York City.
1: Yeah. Then again, I think we stumbled onto a story about this sort of legendary sound house. That uh, housed a lot of the people that we interviewed, and when that place went down, it created this sort of diaspora where guys went off and worked in different studios, and d- new facilities opened up. And uh, Bob was actually kind of sentimental about the passing of Sound One, and uh, how he expressed it was that it really was a family, and uh, that he, you know he misses those guys, he misses seeing those same people every day, um, but it. Our our impression, basically, was that that network is still strong and the the relationships and the films that have kind of come out of those relationships, that's kind of what the reputation of New York independent film is all about.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: So, at that point, Harbor Post had just opened an Atmos room and they'd just finished mixing Beauty and the Beast. Uh, it was the first film I believe they mixed there. He sent us over and we got a tour of the Atmos room. And it's kind of like... Uh, I don't know, like going into an old church or something. Like it was an, a beautiful room, just to walk into, you felt almost touched by just this—the uh, amazingness of this huge, beautiful room. That just the height of that in. room, like
1: it was definitely the biggest room we saw in New York, and I think it's probably the biggest theater I've ever been in.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was. It was beautiful, and the best part was there was a guy uh, using RX5 editing dialogue in it. That's what was happening. <laughs> This humongous, beautiful room with 80 speakers and the guys cutting dialogue in it. Like, it was pretty funny. Are
1: you hearing those clicks loud and clear?
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> don't miss a click. Um, so from there, after seeing that beautiful room, we went back to our hotel and uh, basically went to bed at like nine o'clock because it was a crazy, stressful, busy day getting around from place to place. So our big vacation in New York City, and we crashed out at like nine o'clock in the evening. It was that's a little bit a little embarrassing. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're not we're not the youngsters we used to be. We got up the next morning and uh, went to Sound Lounge to visit Patrick Christensen. Now, that might be a familiar name to people who listen to a lot of tone benders. Patrick Christensen was one of the guys who sat in for our ADR roundtable. He was uh, kind of our New York representative. And that episode is really awesome. If you haven't heard it, I highly suggest you go back and listen to it because it's one of my kind of all-time favorites for this podcast. I really liked that one. And he was a super nice guy. And he said, if you're ever in town, let me know. So we went by Sound Lounge. There was a very interesting difference between Sound Lounge and the other studios we went to. Sound Lounge... Although they do a lot of ADR for television and film, they also do a lot of advertising work. That's their bread and butter. And while all the other studios kind of made use of every nook and cranny, Sound Lounge was luxurious. You, know, you
1: walked in, it was like this incredible vista of like midtown Manhattan through all these beautiful windows and a giant living room. And it was, it was, this was like the weekend before American Thanksgiving. They were having their office Thanksgiving party and Everything was laid on. It's like really a um, advertising client sort of yeah. specialization environment.
0: <laughs> yeah, plush. all super cool furniture and lots of space to lounge out in. And yeah. we got a tour with Patrick. And Patrick, by the way, he sounds like a super nice guy in that interview that we did with him about ADR. Nicest guy. Super nice guy. So we didn't actually do an interview with him we because we'd already interviewed him. We just kind of hung out and he gave us a tour and told us lots of amazing stories and was just a super fun guy. And uh, yeah, as we got the tour of the place, it was just like huge rooms after huge rooms for <laughs> clients to, like not even audio rooms, just like space for clients to hang out. Kitchens. And, yeah, and giant kitchens. And then the mix rooms were really cool too. The speakers were amazing, like half art, half speaker kind of thing. They were... Super beautiful.
1: And then some hardworking editors squirreled away in a corner.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so just in case you don't remember who Patrick Christensen is from that, we have a quick clip of
7: him talking from the previous show. I didn't really start doing a lot of ADR till I started working at Sound Lounge. And that was another thing that I wasn't really expecting to happen. I was getting into the commercial side of business and really ramping up to, to have a, a commercial mixing room. And then they started a film and television division and they needed an ADR mixer, so I came up in conversation and I took the reins of that and kind of learned the job all over again because we don't need D eighty eight machines and, you know, dat machines rolling and, you know, five hundred, you know, mag reels around. We wanted a bare minimum Kind of room have it be beautiful as the other mixed stages are and just um you know be competitive hardware wise and have enough space for everybody and to do group uh recordings and um one gig turns into two you know the right people people like working with you and i find this happens a lot with adr engineers is that you have to be extremely good at your job technically and then you people really have to like you (laughs) as it is with anything else and that's when you get that repeat business and the director's happy The editor's happy and stuff. They're getting everything they need back to the mix stage to make it sound 100% believable.
0: Yeah, so that's Patrick talking about how he got in with Sound Lounge. And uh, he ended that with talking about how you have to be likable. And as we said, he was a super likable guy. He told some funny stories. He had us laughing a lot.
1: Yeah, we had a good chat with him about sort of client relations and how you establish a good relationship with people you're working with. Especially ADR is like a lot of interaction in those sessions. And you got to be not just technically prepared, but you got to be socially capable. And uh, the thing I like about Patrick is like how kind of passionate he is about his specialization, which is ADR. And he really is like, that's that's my bag. That's what I love. That's what I'm good at. That's what I want to get better at. So it was kind of cool to see somebody so young, like really focused in on, you know, the particular job that he's he's he is a specialist
0: for sure. For sure. Yeah. So then we left the luxury that was Sound Lounge and then and we headed just basically across the street to Soundtrack FT to go interview Tom Fleischman. And by this point I was interviewed out. <laughs> I'd interviewed so many people, I was done. So Teresa took the reins for Tom. The thinking of that beyond me being wiped out from all the interviews was that Tom is a mixer. He specializes in re-recording. And uh, Teresa knows more about that than me because I mostly do sound editing and sound design. So I let Teresa take the reins for this. Yeah, it's a little
1: uh, daunting. It's probably one of the few... Interviews I've conducted in my life, and it's like with one of the biggest guys in the business.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For those who don't know who Tom is, uh, he's Martin Scorsese's mixer. He's mixed basically all of Scorsese's films. He's mixed every big film, I think, that's gone through New York almost. He was the main mixer at Sound One, which was their biggest studio for a long time. He's also the son of...
1: Of Dee, Dee Allen, who if you're any kind of film student, you will recognize her name as being like one of the most remarkable American editors. Picture um, editors. Picture editors, not just because she's one of the first few uh, top ranking professional picture editors who was a woman, uh, but also because, you know, she developed her own uh, kind of cinematic language. She's really well known for that. Uh, you know, she cut Bonnie and Clyde. She cut the hustler she cut serpico she cut dog day afternoon like these are big films that um created sort of a, a new lexicon for filmmaking and and kind of are maybe sort of the foundation of like uh, the new york new wave or the or the american new wave um but anyway so so that
0: was his mom that's
1: his mom <laughs> <laughs> and when uh when i talked to him i i i I want to talk to him about his work, but also, like, I just felt like there must have been such a strong influence from having grown up with somebody who is that embedded in filmmaking and what uh, the legacy of that would be for him.
6: I finally got a job at this little sound effects place. Uh, There was an editor named Steve Rotter, and uh, he recommended this guy, Alicia Birnbaum, who had just come from Israel and had opened a little one-room sound effects place in the Brill Building. Uh, and he brought with him from Israel a sound effects library, which he had gotten at an auction, which just consisted of, like, a whole stack of uh, cardboard cartons full of quarter-inch tape, you know, seven-inch reels of quarter-inch tape with no indication of what was on them. And he hired me Uh, I, you know, I was 19 years old, and I didn't want to, I thought NYU was a, you know, I suppose, you know, it's a good thing, film school is a good thing, but for me, I had grown up in it, you know, I I just, I couldn't hack it, so I'd also gotten married at a very young age, and I needed a job, (laughs) so I dropped out of school and took this job with Alicia, and, and it was... Uh, it was a great experience. I worked for him for two and a half years. The place was called Image Sound Studios. And uh, we worked on this film called Serpico, um, a Sidney Lumet film. And they needed some really specialized stuff. They, the sound editors wanted to, it was this great sound editor named Eddie Byer, who was really had great taste. And, and he really wanted to make it special. So we... I went out with one of the sound editors and we went around for weeks, a couple of weeks during the summer uh, just going to different places, tenements police stations, hospitals and recording backgrounds, recording ambiences and, uh, and we did a lot of car stuff too we recorded some car stuff and sirens and there's one funny story where we uh, they had gotten the, the police car that they used in the production and we took it up to up to the Dykeman Street up in the Bronx. And we were recording the siren. I strapped a uh, shotgun mic to the windshield. And we were driving up and down this sort of deserted road running the siren. And in the beginning of the movie, the movie starts with a siren. And you know the siren fades in. And then suddenly, you begin to hear other sirens also. And it's the, he's in the car. And he's been shot. And they're taking him to the hospital. And he arrives at the hospital. So they wanted to start with a, you know, this montage of siren sounds. So we had this cop car, and we're driving up and down this road with the siren going. And the next thing we know, a real cop comes along and stops us. And he says, what the hell are you guys doing? And we explained to him what we were doing. And he says, can we help? <laughs> and so there were two of us, you know, and we were, <laughs> it, was, it was really fun. And then there was a third cop that actually joined in too and uh we you know we that that's how we got that sound at the beginning of the movie
1: the thing i love about tom's interview is how you know, this guy's career is he's not an old guy and his career is 40 years long already and it sort of spans from like the real old-style filmmaking right up to how we mix today and he's still obviously totally active you know he's still mixing for martin scorsese and that he's got that sort of history of having like developed his technique through all these like crazy huge technological changes that have taken place, and you know all sort of peppered with these like interesting anecdotes about incredibly famous films <laughs> that he
0: introduces. Kind of like uh, there was this film Serpico. I don't know uh, if you've heard I, it, yeah, but <laughs> you've probably never heard of it. It starred you know some minor actors at the time, but yeah, he's he he was really good at. Uh, Name dropping these humongous films and uh, telling us about the sound on them as if no one had ever heard of this film before. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. like, you know, number six on the AFI's all time famous yeah. films.
1: He <laughs> just talk about how, uh, like, basically when he started mixing films, films were mono, how the step by step progression of that took place, uh, which is kind of cool to hear from somebody who's really like super involved in. You know, having to make the decision to go from oh, from mono to stereo, and why those changes took place the way they did,
0: kind of and fun. also passionate. Oh my like, god! Oh my god! Like he, we, we cut him off. We were like, okay, it's the middle of the night now. We got to go. <laughs> like he would have talked to us for twenty hours if we, if we were up for it, which we probably should have been, but we just felt guilty taking up his time. But and he also, uh, when I say he's passionate, he talked with his hands. I almost wish we had a video of it because he was gesticulating madly about all these great things that he's uh, recorded and uh, he would o- often have his hands on uh, the
1: fader, position. fader
0: positions in front of him on a ghost mixing console, <laughs> and as a result of his hands moving wildly, he, he quite often hit the, la- the, the lapel mic that was on his shirt. So yeah, there's... sorry,
1: our recording skills are not. <laughs> not <laughs> we, were, we were just quite like rather. with our,
0: our elbows on the desk and our hands on our chin, watching intently, listening rapturously, tell me more, tell and me more. N- <laughs> not paying attention to the fact that he's whacking the hell out of the microphone on his chest. Yeah, but so uh, that's why a great. Storyteller, <laughs> yeah, he was a great storyteller, and I'm really glad that uh, it worked out that he found time to talk to us. Yeah, and
1: so incredibly generous with his time, yeah,
0: super generous. And uh, we also did that interview in his mix room, which was pretty cool too. So it's a much smaller Atmos mix room, but it's a pretty beautiful room. So after we wrapped up with him, we uh headed back to the hotel again I after a, lie down. <laughs> a long day, and I think we maybe stayed up a little bit later that night, but we conked out pretty early again. Uh, And I got up early the next morning to go do our last interview of the trip. And you bailed on me because you were wiped out from your one interview. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I went to Dig It Post, which was a really cool, kind of smaller studio, but still quite a large studio in the grand scheme of things. But we went to kind of some of the biggest places in town. And this is kind of more of a medium sized place. Super cool place. And we got to meet Abby Savage. You all probably know her as an actor. She's one of the kind of secondary leads in Orange is the New Black, and she's been in a couple other memorable roles. But her main gig when she's not acting is uh, she's a sound editor and sound designer at Digit Audio Post in New York City. So I thought, let's get her involved and let's do an interview with her because how can we go wrong with that? So I got up bright and early that last day we were there before we got on the flight And went to visit Abby and she gave me a tour of the place and then we sat down. And uh, she's super interesting and, again, insanely nice. And I thought that this might be a good clip to kind of button up the New York City sound post scene. This is her talking about what it's like to work in New York.
8: In New York, I feel like we all have each other's backs. I feel like this was a small community of people doing stuff and that the industry over the years has slowly come to us and it's grown very organically and and because of that I feel like we feel like we're all in the same boat together. Uh, I've never felt a sense of competition with any other uh, freelancers. There's a free and easy sharing of ideas and ways to do things and uh, you know I feel like we're just we're all working together and the other thing is that you know most of us are freelancers I know I'm very unusual I was a freelancer for like a decade at least and when you're a freelancer you end up working for most of the companies in New York that do this sort of thing so you end up knowing everybody and uh, so we kind of all know each other all get along well, and it's all very laid back. And you know, I feel like it's all, we're all just sort of in this together. We all have each other's backs, we're all very friendly with each other. It's a, it's a pretty healthy thing.
0: So, yeah, that's kind of the vibe we got from everybody, right?
8: Yeah, it
1: was kind of cool to reflect on that and sort of take that back to, you know, where we work in Toronto. It's obviously not the same kind of scene. And think, of, kind of be reminded of, like, why we're doing this and, and sort of what are successful ways to go about not just doing your work in the suite, but how to do business and and how to be part of a team and stuff like that. And I've I found since I've came back and had an opportunity to talk to all these people who are super successful, but also good collaborators and parts of strong teams that... Uh, it's kind of changed the way I think about the work that I do and, and how I interact in teams and stuff like that.
0: It had no effect on me whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Those people water off a duck's back. No impression left on me at all. No, you, I'm just you kidding. You don't
1: have anything to learn, Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah I'm already the best. No, I'm, obviously, that's all jokes. Uh, so, yeah, same thing here. It was super cool to meet all these people who are doing amazing work, but uh, not taking themselves too seriously. Like they, they could all make jokes about themselves and didn't, you didn't feel like they thought they were the, uh, the cock of the walk. Is that the proper phrase there? Yeah,
1: I think so. And it, yeah, to use another bad metaphor, like I didn't get a sense of a rat race mm-hmm. uh, for these people. Like they're doing good work and there's a lots of it to do, forming good relationships and living decent lives at the same time, you know, having a good you know, work-life balance or whatever.
0: Yeah, that's our trip to New York. So keep an ear out for all of the people that we played clips from. There's going to be full episodes with them coming out soon. We're going to kind of intersperse them in between other kind of more timely things because these are all uh, not necessarily interviews that are of the moment. They can come out either now or in a month or two. I'm really looking forward to getting feedback from you guys on some of these interviews because these are some really interesting people that I'm looking forward to you guys hearing their thoughts on the uh, Sound Post world in both New York and as a whole.
1: Yeah, and I hope that you guys have good takeaways in terms of your own work, uh, listening to these people. And it's just really entertaining people to hear uh, their stories and stuff, too. So thanks, Tim, for letting me be a part of it. It was really a uh, oh, pretty amazing trip. Fun. Yeah, Always it was fun, a fun to hang trip. out with Tim. It was too. kind
0: of like uh, a sound nerd's dream trip. Like maybe going to Skywalker Ranch would be a little better, but probably not. It was really amazing to go see all these rooms and uh, that's
1: the thing. meet yeah. all like, these people. Seeing, I mean, obviously meeting these people is like a kind of an opportunity of a lifetime. But uh, seeing the different rooms I thought was really cool for me. Like I said with Skip's uh, studio, like just seeing how he works and seeing how different people work. Because I'm staff. I don't freelance. I don't go to any other studios. I rarely have the opportunity to see how other people are uh, setting up their suites and, and what their workflows are and how they interact with other people on their team. So it was really cool to see all the different shapes and sizes of things and how people work. And it was really cool to find out that it's not that different. I mean, you know, these are high, kind of high end productions that most of these people are working on. And, and it's to see the similarities and, and the, sort of the potential for working in similar ways. I thought, I thought that was a great takeaway for me.
0: Yeah, it was totally awesome. So thank you very much to Teresa for going on that trip with me and doing the interview and uh, being my... uh, Sherpa. Yeah, being your Sherpa, (laughs) carrying around all the sound gear while I was interviewing people and doing the Tom Fleischman interview herself, stepping up when that was presented to her. Thank you very much to everyone that we did the interviews with for taking part. And uh, I want us to do our regular thank yous. Thanks to Stacey DuPass for letting us use her voice to bend and twist on our bumpers. Thanks to everybody who listens and takes part in the show. If you want to donate to the show, you can go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click on the Donate button or go to our links for b and Amazon. Those click-throughs are super helpful. If you're buying anything, just go through our site, and that would be really helpful. Thanks for listening, and look forward to all these individual shows coming soon. See you later. Thanks, Tim. no, 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 no.
5: Thanks for listening to Tone Vendors. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you listen on iTunes or Stitcher, please write us a review while you're there. To support the show, go to tonevendorspodcast.com and click through our Amazon link or leave us a tip. You can also download and listen to our entire show archive there and leave a comment on our site or on SoundCloud. Keep up to date by following at the Tone Vendors on Twitter or find Tone Vendors Podcast on Facebook and YouTube. Email us with your questions and ideas at info at tonebenderspodcast.com.